Here we go. You're listening to Law and Gospel on this Open Mic Friday, which means that normally you could phone in, but I'm not in the studio. We're still uh, doing things from home, but we are responding to emails that we have received. So you can email me any question you have at Law and Gospel at Law and Gospel 101.com. So today is June the 11th, and we're going to be taking a look at a number of emails that we received. One of the emails that I want to talk about has a quote from Martin Luther in it. I had not remembered this quote, but boy, is it ever appropriate for this day and age. He writes, If I profess with the loudest voice and clearest exposition every portion of the truth of God, except precisely that little point which the world and the devil are at that moment attacking, I am not confessing Christ, however boldly I may be professing Christ. Where the battle rages, there the loyalty of the soldier is proved, and to be steady on all the battlefield besides is mere flight and disgrace if he flinches at that point. Boy, is that ever appropriate for today, is it not? Because you hear a lot of sermons, and you can turn to other radio stations besides KFUO to listen to them, and a lot of times what they're saying may not be in error, but they rarely deal with the points that are going on in society today. The fact of the matter is, is that the church has let down its people in instructing them how to share, particularly with young people, the message of Jesus Christ in such a way that it becomes helpful to them rather than they say, well, that's pretty boring and I'm not really interested in that. And therefore, they leave the church and they're called nuns, N-O-N-E-S. Those are people, when you ask them, what denomination are you with? They say, none, because they no longer believe what the church teaches. So Martin Luther's point, I think, is excellent to show that we need to be discussing the points that are going on in the society today. And that's what we often do, particularly on the Rumination Thursday with Wes Reimnitz. All right, next email. Pastor Baker, God has richly blessed me because of the words he has spoken through you. Your gift of explaining the complex really helps. I'm catching up on all the law and gospel that I can through the archives and am not quite listen to everything yet. My question, in the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve had free will to obey or disobey. God did not want robots. In the new heaven and earth, 
with everything restored and God dwells with us again as in Eden, what keeps us from disobedience and separation from God again? Will we become the robots that God did not want? Or how does retaining a free will and willful obedience for eternity happen? In thinking about this, I see myself living eternally on the razor's edge. This may be in the realm of speculative theology, but I am a bit confused as to how this all works. And the email writer is from Pasco, Washington. Well, let me respond. It does seem that if we don't have free will in heaven in order to sin, then are we not robots? Well, it it depends. Let, Let me use the example of a pet that you love. And, and many individuals have dogs. Now, I, I enjoy listening to uh, police videos. They're chasing a, a robber, and he pulls over. He runs out of gas, or he has an accident, but he won't come out of the car. So what do the police do? They use their dog, and the dog sometimes leaps up into the car through the open window, and it's not long before the robber gives up. Now, those dogs are so well trained. If you had met that dog when it was born and you told it to sit down or lie down or run after someone, it wouldn't do anything. But after training, they become so accustomed to what they are to do that they are able to do them. They even have dogs that can sniff out various drugs like heroin or marijuana uh, within a suitcase. Now, they're trained to do those things. They have a dog, has a free will not to obey its master, but it becomes so loving towards its master and so proud of what it is able to do that these dogs rarely, if at all, disobey. You tell him to sit, he sits. You tell him to chase, he chase. You tell him to stop biting, he'll stop biting. So, are we going to say they no longer have free will, that they're robots? No, not at all. What happens when we die and go to heaven? We still have free will, but we are so in love with Jesus, and the Holy Spirit is with us at all times, that we don't even have a thought of sin in order to tempt us. And therefore, we still have free will. We're not robots, but we are doing the will of God. Now, let me give you an example of another group in creation where this has happened already. We've heard of the angels. The angels, at one time, a number of them fell from the pleasure of God, with Satan as their head. 
Since then, though, the good angels are always good, following the will of God, being his messengers. And remember, Jesus even says that when we're in heaven, we're going to be like the angels. Uh, Now, in that case, he's talking about not giving in marriage. But the point is, the angels have free will. They freely will to obey God. And that is the new spirit that we will have in heaven. Remember what you had David say, create in me a clean heart and renew a right spirit within me. That is a return to the Garden of Eden prior to the fall into sin except that that new spirit will be so in love with Jesus and thankful for what he has done, we will never even want to go ahead and disagree with God in heaven. And that's the reason there will be no sin in heaven because of the new spirit that is totally in love with Jesus Christ. All right, next email. Dear Pastor Baker, I live in Illinois and was in Springfield, Illinois on business. I happened to hear your show on AM 850. Allow me to introduce myself. I came out of the clamor of religion in 1994. Actually, that is the time when God began to reveal the real gospel to me. Since then, I have heard very few Christians teach the message you shared with me. Thank you, and I heard you say some of the exact words and examples to get your point across that I use. I love it. This message, beloved, I believe will be the message that will bring the body of Christ together as we approach the end. As you are well informed, the real gospel is what is needed. I never saw the good news, no. This is fantastic news. Any salesman will tell you that the best product to sell is the one everyone needs and does not know it. Still resting in his grace and it's signed pastor with his name. Well, that's always good to hear because many pastors are unaware of the true meaning of the gospel. They often confuse law and gospel to such a point that people don't hear the message that they are to hear. Uh, For example, we spoke just recently that are you really preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ when you tell someone that Jesus died on the cross for sins? No, What you need to do is make it clear that he died on the cross to pay for your sins. That's where the gospel comes in. 
And it's a message that a lot of people still don't understand. Yes, he died for the sins of the world, but how do I know that he died for my sins? And that's why baptism is so important because a promise is connected to the waters of baptism so that a person can say when asked, how do you know you're saved? They can say, I am baptized. That message is a message that is so good to hear. All right, another email. Dear Tom, I listen often to your long gospel program on KFUO and I'm always encouraged by what you teach. I oftentimes find myself frustrated because you sound such a clear trumpet on the need for doctrinal agreement within our congregation. And today you went so far as to say that it is important for the greater church body we belong to as well because our offerings go to support the work of that body uh, in Christ. And then it's signed by the pastor and his name. Now that's really important what the pastor had heard that you may be belonging to a church where the pastor sounds like he's teaching doctrine properly, but the church itself is involved with programs that are not according to God's word. And therefore, the offerings that you give are therefore being used in ways that you would object to. So it's important that you understand your particular church's denomination affiliation to know what are they supporting. In the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod, there are a, a number of ways you can learn that. Uh, one way is through the Lutheran Witness, the official publication of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod and I would encourage you to subscribe to that. Uh, you can get to that by going to lcms.org and typing in Lutheran Witness or cph.org. CPH is Concordia Publishing House, and that is the publishing company for the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. Dear Pastor Baker, I listen to the Long Gospel program via the internet. I live in New York, so if it were not for the internet, I would not be able to do so. I would like to know, why do some Lutheran churches use the word evangelical while others do not? I'm planning to transfer my membership from a Lutheran church which includes the word evangelical. The Lutheran church, which I plan to transfer my membership to, does not use the word. Now the former is charismatic. I'm just curious to know why some use evangelical in their title 
while others do not. And then it's signed by Gloria. Well, Gloria, here's what I would say. For 28 years, I was a member of what is referred to as St. James Lutheran Church. But the official name is St. James Evangelical Lutheran Church. But we rarely call it that, although in specific documents we sign, like at a marriage, a funeral, the word evangelical is there. Now, is it necessary for you to be called evangelical? The word evangelical was actually used by the Roman Catholics against the Lutherans because the word refers to the message of the gospel. The gospel is euangelion, which means good news. And so in the English, it comes out evangelical. So a lot of churches, when they were instituted, use the word evangelical. And and that's very good. I have no problem with that at all. However, some churches don't like the word evangelical because of how the press understands the word. They understand the word evangelical to be referring to those that have practices and theology contrary to the Lutheran Church. For example, if you ask, what is an evangelical congregation? One of the ideas is that they believe in decision theology. You've got to make a decision for Christ. And so there are definitely individuals that prefer not to use the term evangelical to refer to their church. You you make a very good point. The church you're at right now, which is charismatic, uses the word evangelical, and yet charismatic teachings are contrary to the word of God. I attended a charismatic church, and I did that in my visits because I wanted to see what do they really teach. And I'll never forget that during the worship service, a a crowd had gathered around a woman trying to get her to speak in tongues. And these tongues were not the tongues of Pentecost, which were known foreign languages, but some kind of babbling, supposedly what the angels speak. And of course, if she had been able to speak in tongues, they would have had an interpreter there to tell her what she was saying, because she herself doesn't know what she's saying. Well, that's contrary to God's word. That's not a proper speaking in tongues. And for them, the way you know that you are a Christian is you're able to speak in tongues. And yet, that church uses the term evangelical. It's not Lutheran, but it still uses the word evangelical. So I can understand why Christians 
knowing the history of that word, may not want to use it in today's society. And even congregations like mine, that was St. James Evangelical Lutheran Church, we'd often shorten the name of our church to St. James Lutheran. Now, what's unfortunate is there are some Lutheran churches that are taking the name Lutheran out of their title. They call themselves something different because they think that Lutheran, when people hear the word Lutheran, it's a turnoff for them because of maybe previous experiences they had with Lutherans. I've attended some of those churches, and not only did they practice what we call open communion because they didn't want to offend anybody by telling them they couldn't come to communion, but they also would have bands playing, and the sermons were often about what you are to do to show God that you love him. None of that is Christian teaching. It reverses everything because the Bible shows how God loved you. That's totally different than you trying to figure out how I am to love God. That's a a real difference. In other words, the arrows are going backwards. In Christianity, it is not how we climb the ladder to get up to God, but rather how God brings us up the ladder, carries us up the ladder as he did the lost sheep in Luke 15. And therefore, it's very important that you understand the distinction between coming to God by your own decision and God bringing you to him by his decision. Hello, Tom. Your delivery on the radio is quite good. I think you have discovered the importance of asking questions when teaching. This is a hidden secret in helping eyes to see. Example, when God asked Adam where he was, do you think God did not know? Of course not. He wanted Adam to know where he was. Or when Jesus asked, who do men say that I am? Likewise, do you think that Jesus did not know who men thought he was? No, he wanted his disciples to know and understand. So asking questions is a wonderful way to help the student disciple to understand what they know in part. Yeah, that is a technique that I use in every sermon I preach. I begin with asking a question, but I ask the question in such a way that the congregation often gives the wrong answer. Now, how is that possible? Well, in a sermon, it's very clear from Corinthians that on Judgment Day, God is going to take a look at your works 
whether they are good or bad. Now, that's a question that I'll start with. Will God be judging you on the basis of whether you have been good or bad, as the text says? Now, that disturbs a lot of people because the Bible says he does. And yet, why then would anybody ever be going to heaven? Because we have all done bad works. And this is where the distinction between law and gospel comes in. Yes, those who do bad works are really, and if you take a look at Matthew 25, the sheep and the goats, you'll see that. They are those who, from God's point of view, are not doing proper works. But the sheep are those who even forget what works they have done that are proper. And so there's an example where a question may confuse people, thinking, oh boy, I don't think I'm good enough to get to heaven. And the point of the sermon is to show you that Jesus is good enough to get you to heaven. Once more, see how the arrows are going. Not what you do for God, but what God does for you. That's the difference between law and gospel. And on the next program, Monday, we'll be taking a look at one of the readings for that Sunday in Pentecost and be showing you again how law and gospel makes a difference in interpreting the text. I'm Tom Baker. Thanks so much for listening. Email me at lawandgospel at longgospel101.com and support the program by listening to what follows right now. God bless you. Listen to Law and Gospel each weekday morning at 9.30 on KFUO. For a tax-deductible gift to Law and Gospel, please make your check payable to Concordia Mission Society and mail it to Tom Baker, P.O. Box 28910, St. Louis, Missouri, 63132. To give online, visit lawandgospel101.com or call toll-free 1-877-267-1962. Views and opinions expressed on Worldwide KFUO may not represent the official position of the management or ownership of KFUO, the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. If you'd like to comment on programs or topics heard on Worldwide KFUO, write us at KFUO, 1333 South Kirkwood Road, St. Louis, Missouri, 63122. You can also leave a question or comment on our comment line at 314-996-1542. We are the messenger of good news, Worldwide KFUO.